Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Why is the algorithm showing me Pat Benatar videos? I can't search for nuclear war or the algorithm will know. Well, those algorithms are biased. You know that. Algorithms are a hot topic, especially among those concerned about how information is spread. Social networks like Instagram and TikTok famously use algorithms to decide what content to show you. Facial recognition algorithms famously fail, especially if you aren't light-skinned. But what is an algorithm anyway? Is it really at fault for all of this, including the Pat Benatar videos? Let's help you know a little more about algorithms. Let me tell you a story. A story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Beginning. Mathematicians in ancient Baghdad write multiple books laying the foundation of modern mathematics. Middle. Hundreds of years later, one of those authors' name becomes synonymous with operations and is translated into Latin as algorithm. End. In the 20th century, algorithms are defined, refined, and by the early 21st century, combined to make systems that can draw pictures, write you a resume, and replicate your voice or even video of you. That's the quick story of the algorithm. And algorithms themselves like stories, have a beginning, the input, a middle, the operations performed on the input, and an end, the output. They're simple, really. But just like a story can be much more complex than the one I just told, an algorithm can be much more complex as well. And when you combine multiple complex algorithms, (laughs) you get a whole lot more. Okay, okay, but what does all that mean, right? To explain, we may need to start in the middle of the story, with how an algorithm is defined. You know, like in Captain America, the first Avenger. Base, give me a line to the colonel. 3 a.m., sir. I don't care what time it is. This one's waited long enough. A great example of an algorithm is a recipe. Step one, boil the water. Step two, put the egg in the water. Step three, sit around for eight minutes. Step four, Carefully remove the egg from the water and let it cool. Step five, peel the egg and eat it. That's an algorithm for a hard-boiled egg. But of course, algorithms aren't all linear steps like that. More complex algorithms can use what are called conditionals. You know, like if-then. 
This can let it look like it's making inferences and executing reasoning. You use conditional algorithms all the time. Uh, For example, let's say you're on vacation and you want to go to the grocery store, but you've never been to this particular grocery store before. It's a new place. And you need to find a can of peas because in this example, just, just go with it. You love peas, okay? You need peas. So even though you've never been to this grocery store, you know how grocery stores generally work. Grocery stores kind of like your operating system. So you employ your personal pea-finding algorithm. First, you look at the aisle signs. If an aisle sign says canned food, you proceed down that aisle and you look for the can of peas. Else, check next aisle. This algorithm is going to save you time instead of having to wander up and down each aisle until you finally reach the one with the canned peas, you skim along the edge of the aisles and quickly get to the right shelf. Now, imagine how a more powerful algorithm can help a computer sort through billions of data points faster than humans could. You get the idea. There are lots of different types of algorithms, too. Uh, One you've probably heard about is the brute force algorithm. It just tries all the possible solutions until it hits on the right one. That would be the equivalent of walking up and down all the aisles until you hit the canned food aisle. That one is used sometimes because computers can do things faster. So a brute force attack to find a password is that kind of algorithm. Another kind is called divide and conquer. You break the problem up into smaller sub-problems, then you combine the solutions to solve the original problem. Processors use this one to great advantage. For our grocery store example, this would be good if you needed both canned peas and fresh carrots, and let's say there are two of you on this trip. One of you handles the carrot search, one of you handles the pea search, you each have your own algorithms, and then you combine at the register to check out. Output equals peas and carrots. There are some others that don't fit so nicely into our our grocery store example. An encryption algorithm transforms data in a way that only a person who knows how it was transformed can easily revert it back to the original. I I guess it's like locking the grocery store. Uh, There's also a type called randomized algorithms, where you use a random number at least once along the way to solving a problem. One example of this is what's called the Las Vegas algorithm, which will always return a correct result. You just don't know how long it will take. Uh, So you're gambling that it might be faster than another way. If you've ever used quicksort, you've used this kind of algorithm. For the grocery store, it would kind of be like just walking right up to a random aisle and then looking up at the sign, hoping you happen to hit the canned foods on the first try. Now, that might sound like it's going to take as long or longer to work, but here's a way to think about it. Let's say you have a line of 100 people and you're looking for one person named Pat. Now, you can wait as everyone in line walks by and tells you their name until eventually you find Pat. But that may take a long time unless Pat happens to be near the front. Or you can call out line positions at random. Hey, number five, Joe. Number 64, Kelly. Until you finally find Pat. Now, it may not sound guaranteed that this will be quicker and it's not guaranteed, but it does usually end up being faster, especially in more complex situations especially when you can repeat it a lot of times very fast, like a computer does. This is often used in search. One thing to keep in mind about algorithms is they are meant to be precise. An algorithm is not the same as a heuristic. A heuristic is a word for a shortcut that may or may not give you the exact correct result. It's when an approximation is good enough for you. So let's say there's a person walking toward you 
and you hold out your thumb. If their head appears to be about half the size of your thumbnail, you guess they're about 200 meters away. That's not accurate, of course, but it might be close enough for what you need to know, and it's an example of a heuristic. An algorithm, on the other hand, would want to use more information to come up with a precise measurement. So perhaps taking into account known distances of objects near the walking person, uh, along with the length of shadows cast, etc. The key thing in all algorithms is they have an initial input, a set of instructions, and an end. It has to terminate after a finite amount of time, and it also should give you the same output if you give it the same input. All right. So we have Cap out of the ice. Let's head back to the 1940s. Or for you non-Marvel fans, let's go back to the beginning of algorithms. Today, some two million women volunteers are enlisted in the nation's war industries. By the end of the year, there will be four millions. We start in Babylon, 2500 BCE birthplace of laws and the code of Hammurabi. The most advanced mathematicians in the world have discovered something that will make grade school children wail and gnash their teeth centuries into the future. Division. One of the earliest examples of an algorithm. Let's jump ahead 1500 years to India. 1000 years BCE. Mathematics is at the top of its game developed predominantly with what we would now call algorithms. All right, let's jump another 1,800 years forward to the 800s and the Islamic Empire. The most advanced mathematicians the world had yet seen are pushing the discipline close to its modern form. They take Indian number symbols and develop them into the Arabic numerals that we use today. One man involved in this is called Al-Kindi. And were this a more accurate world, algorithms might be called Al-Kindis. He wrote a book called Manuscript on Deciphering Cryptographic Messages, which is credited with creating cryptanalysis, breaking cryptography. He developed frequency analysis, where you look at how often certain symbols occur to help deduce what they mean. All of these are examples of algorithms. However, one of his contemporaries while not developing as much algorithmic math, would leave a stamp on the discipline still felt to this moment. He was called Muhammad ibn Musa al-Khwarizmi, most often referred to just as al-Khwarizmi, which meant he was from Khwarizm, a Persian region which is now part of Uzbekistan. He worked in the Abbasid Caliphate's libraries, including the Grand Library of Baghdad, and wrote a lot of important mathematical treatises. Now, Even back thousands of years ago, people were into retro things. So 300 years after Al-Khwarizmi's writings, he becomes all the rage in Europe. His book on algebra is a particularly huge hit. Those retro Euro math enthusiasts couldn't get enough of his work. But not all of them wanted to learn to read Arabic. So they translated the books into Latin. And when they translated Al-Khwarizmi's name they Latinized it to Algorizmi. You can see where this is going, right? Over the centuries, his name is used to mean a lot of different related mathematical things, like decimal number system. And by the 1600s, it was occasionally being spelled algorithm, or even algorithm. And by the late 1800s, it was being used in its current sense. 
There are innumerable strands of history that led to the modern algorithm, but I'm going to use a heuristic to narrow down to one of them. Gottfried Leibniz, you know, the guy who also invented calculus at the same time as Isaac Newton, he imagined a machine that could manipulate symbols in order to determine the truth of mathematical statements. You know, a computer. He also realized you'd need some kind of formal language for the symbols in order for it to work. You know, programming. His musings kicked around in mathematical communities for a few centuries. Then, in 1928, David Hilbert picked up Leibniz's torch. Hilbert posed 23 problems for mathematicians to solve. The second was called a decision problem, and Leibniz would have recognized it. It asked for an algorithm that could prove any mathematical statement. And here we go, folks. Get the starter gun. We have a relay race that is going to end in defining the algorithm. Bang! In 1931, Kurt Gödel demonstrated that certain math questions can be neither proved or disproved. In 1935, Alonzo Church picks up the baton from Gödel and in the process ends up defining what an algorithm should be, something called effective calculability. And taking us over the end line in 1936, Alan Turing expands the proof and goes on to use algorithms in his Turing machines, the most famous being the Enigma, which broke German cryptography during World War II. Thanks to that relay team, we have a very good understanding of algorithms. And while there are all kinds of variations, they fall into two big buckets. An algorithm with a yes or no answer is called a decision procedure, because the question is decidable. An algorithm that goes beyond yes or no is called a computation procedure, because you can compute the answer. Is X number prime? That's decidable. It either is or it isn't. Long division, that's computable. There's no yes or no in division, just your quotient and your remainder, and maybe your agony. So, we found our protagonist, the algorithm. At the beginning of this story, we flashed back to its origins in the ancient empires, and now it's time for our metaphorical Captain America to wake up and start asking Nick Fury questions. Yeah, I just... had a date. For our story, the question is, is AI an algorithm? Yes, kind of. Or rather, some kinds of things that are called AI use algorithms. For example, machine learning uses algorithms to identify patterns in data and group them into subsets. And other kinds of AI use machine learning. You'll often hear scientists describe AI as using unstructured data, while machine learning needs structured data. Then you may hear other scientists yell at these scientists, don't get too caught up in that. Machine learning uses algorithms to be able to solve a problem that it's been trained to solve. More advanced AI sometimes uses machine learning to create more complex behavior, like uh, driving a car, for example. A better example might be credit card fraud detection. You can imagine a set of algorithms that would look at the date, the location, the amount of the transaction, stuff like that, and then use math to determine a range in which variability is normal. And then learning through machine learning 
what falls outside that range. If a transaction falls outside the norm, it generates an output that can be used to stop the transaction and maybe send you a text message. No, I didn't buy 200 pounds of red vines. I'm a confirmed Twizzler person. As we've indicated, algorithms themselves are deterministic. They each take inputs, perform operations on them, and produce outputs. But when you chain them together and use them in the right way, they can exhibit seemingly complex behavior. For example, let's consider a machine learning model that recognizes images of cats and dogs. The model consists of several algorithms, including image preprocessing, feature extraction, and classification. Each algorithm takes the output of the previous algorithm and transforms it in some way. The end result is a model that can accurately classify images of cats and dogs. Also, that last paragraph about cats and dogs was written by ChatGPT when I gave it the paragraph before. That's just another example of the kind of complex behavior we're talking about. Anyway, back to the human-written stuff. A key part of the complexity of AI is that the outputs of algorithms can be used to change the algorithms. ChatGPT mentioned that in the cat and dog example. This is how AI systems can quote-unquote learn. It's the instructions to modify some algorithms and sometimes even create new algorithms that cause AI to have the appearance of quote-unquote intelligence in the way that an algorithm on its own does not. This is an important difference when talking about algorithms versus AI. Even though AI is made up of algorithms, an algorithm on its own could be fully transparent. It has defined steps. You can look at it, if the programmer lets you, to see how it makes its decisions. Many types of AI, though, are a black box. The systems are modifying their code in such a complex way that it isn't always clear why it created the output it did. A great example of this is a kind of AI called deep learning. It uses connections of nodes called a neural network. Each node is essentially an algorithm. It takes input and passes output to the next node. As data passes from node to node, the nodes can be altered as a result of each output or input. This is similar to how our neurons strengthen connections as we think. That's why they called it a neural network. Deep learning can alter these nodes in a way that makes it very good at recognizing patterns. But we only know that it's doing this and that it works. We don't see the output between the nodes. We only see the conclusion. Now, there is an effort to build something called explainable AI. If you're like, why don't you just log stuff? Uh, explainable AI is doing a complex version of that. It would let us see how the decisions inside the systems are made. However, it's technically complex and it can slow down or limit the effectiveness of the systems. So if you can get it to work in an understandable way, it might make the entire system not work, or at least not work as well. It could also open the system to manipulation by bad actors. But if it gets good enough, it could help us understand AI better. In the end, though, none of the shortcomings of AI are the fault of the algorithms themselves, which, as we all know by now, say it with me, are finite with defined inputs and outputs, just like our neurons are finite cells with defined synapses that send and receive signals from other neurons. Connect enough neurons together, and you get a brain, possibly even a human brain, or a dolphin, 
something that can think anyway, connect enough algorithms together, and you get AI. Now, we have a long way to go before that can mimic thinking. Uh, We're getting closer all the time. And that's our story. Until the sequel. In other words, I hope you know a little more about algorithms. Dog and Pony Show Audio.